welcome back to the Undercut Podcast. I'm your host, Ellie Mae Taylor, and we're back to preview the Mexican Grand Prix. Joining me today to preview the 201st Grand Prix of the V6 Turbo Hybrid era is my faithful co-host, Jesse Billington. How are you? I'm very well. I quite like being called the faithful co-host, and I can't believe we didn't make a bigger thing about last race being the 200th of the Turbo Hybrid era. We sort of missed that one even the broadcast seemed to skip it with only the rare mention yeah that's why i thought i'll mention it now seeing as we didn't actually <laughs> mention it when it was the 200th give it its moment in the sun as a, as a headline and we'll go from there see what happens but yeah not doing not doing too bad uh, usual wednesday malarkey of work and so on and so forth but looking forward to the mexican grand prix this weekend might be an interesting one yes it definitely will and free practice one will be sort of mixed up as we know all teams have an obligation to put a rookie driver in each of their cars at one free practice session this year and a lot of teams have opted to put a rookie in this weekend at mexico ollie behrman will drive for Haas, mick Dewan will drive for alpine frederick resti will drive for mercedes felipe drogovic for aston martin isaac Ajar for alfatari robert schwartzman ferrari and finally tia pocher for alfa romeo who are you most excited to see take the wheel in an F1 car this weekend? Ooh, Oli Behrman is coming to this fresh offer test with Ferrari back at Maranello. So it'll be interesting to see what he's able to do with the Haas. It's different style of car to what he drove at Maranello, different level of machinery as well. We know the Haas is not exactly equitable to the Ferrari that he drove. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how close he is there. Equally, I'm interested to see... I don't know who Drogovic is sitting in for. I haven't got it in my notes, but it'll be interesting to see if we get him against Stroll or if we get him against um, uh, Alonso. So that will be the really interesting line to draw there. Obviously, it's FP1. The data means very little. But the fact of the matter is it'll be an interesting one to sort of draw straws against. For me, though, Isaac Hadjar... He's a bit of a, this is a, also uh, is echoed in a note that Timo's left us. He's not here this evening, but he's here in note form at points. And the note he left is something that's also sort of was on my mind when I read the news was it's an interesting call from Alpha Tauri. Hadjar is one of the few remaining Red Bull drivers or junior drivers that hasn't been kicked out. They've turfed out a lot of them recently. Um, so it's it's interesting to see that he's been offered an Alpha Tauri drive. And I suppose equally, they can't offer it to uh, Liam Lawson because he's done more than two races now. Uh, so they've got to boot out Yuki Tsunoda for an FP1 and uh, bang in an Isaac Hadjar. Equally, Danny Rick still doesn't seem to be at home in the car. Didn't look great in Austin. I know he was running a bit of damage for some of the race. But if Isaac Hadjar can run an FP1 session close to Daniel Ricciardo... That's going to be hugely positive for him. Yeah. Um, going back to Felipe Dragovic as well. Didn't he? Didn't he do? Did he do an FP FP one session earlier in the year or not? He did testing because uh, Lance Stroll heard his broken wrists at the beginning of the year and wasn't able to do the preseason testing in Bahrain. I don't think he's yeah. done an FP one yet. Uh, it's again goes back check notes um boom, 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 boom. because i was just thinking i'm sure in a free practice session we had i thought it was him and fernando alonso so it would have to be fernando alonso that's out this time round and it will be 
stroll and uh, no you're correct you are indeed correct round 14 which was the italian grand prix we saw drogovic in the car so this time he'll be sitting in for sitting in alonso's seat against stroll so this is the this is the one we're waiting for hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think Intra- something in something in the back of my mind was your memory is. I remember mine. Yeah. Well, it was because I remember us being like, "Oh, they probably put, you know, him up against Fernando Alonso so that we couldn't see the times between him and Lance Stroll." But mm. now they have no choice. Yes. Yeah. No. No. Felipe yeah. Drogovic drove for Aston Martin in place of Lance Stroll during the first practice session at the Italian Grand Prix this year. So he will now be in uh, Fernando's seat against Lance. Ooh. Ooh. Um, equally, round thirteen. So the Dutch Grand Prix. Schwartzman ran for Ferrari. I can't remember who he sat in for there against Scrolls back to check his notes. Uh, Robert Schwartzman drove in place of Carlos Sainz, so this time round he'll be replacing Charles Leclerc. Um, but I don't think there's too much interest just about who he's faster than in the Ferrari. But yeah, the um, Drugovic in the Aston Martin is certainly going to be a big, big news piece if he's faster than uh, Stroll. And um, again, it's not going to be truly respective. They might be on different compounds, different fuel levels, different parts of the track and traffic and so on. But that will be it'll be an interesting one. I'm curious about Theo Porcher as well, because I can't remember if he's done an FP1 session. I feel like he must have done at this by this point with um, Alfa Romeo. And it seems like he should have. You, you'd and you'd expect that he will have would have done. Yeah. Um, hmm. There is a way of checking this. Let's see. Uh, The podcast that does its research live on air. And with really slow internet, this might take a while to load. Bear with us, please. Uh, He has tested last year at the Mexican Grand Prix with Alfa Romeo. Oh, so he's basically just doing the exact same. Yes, yeah, back one race later in the calendar uh, with Alfa Romeo. But this means they've still got another test to do at some point. So I'm wondering who they're going to offer it to. Because obviously last year, yes, um, Joe counted as their junior driver in the first FE1 session he did. So all they had to do was replace Bottas at a later point. This year, they've got to replace both of them. So we're assuming poor chair might come back for a second FP1 this season. I... Yeah, it must be. It's probably well, it'll be Abu Dhabi, won't it? it it's got to be the rest of them. Yeah, well, there's chance they might do it in Brazil. You're not going to do it in Vegas because you're going to need to learn the circuit. Uh, Abu Dhabi is your only other option, really. There's a sprint in um, Brazil, isn't there? Oh, pish! Of course there is. Yeah. So. So it's literally Mexico or Abu Dhabi. Mexico. That's it. That is. Ooh. Mm. Interestingly for me is that Williams have not announced. I can't remember if they've done a driver already this season, but they haven't they haven't announced yet who they're going to have. So they must be filling both seats in Abu Dhabi. Well, again, Sergeant will have ticked 
one of them because That's he was true. a rookie coming in. So they've still they still need to find someone to replace Elbon. And I think in the back of my mind, they might go for a Chadwick. I think she's not got anything kicking going on come Abu Dhabi. I would like to see it. I, I would like to see it as well, especially she's because been... she will be up against Sergeant. So it's she's not like she's gonna look terrible. As well. She's Williams Academy driver, she's peak, peak form. It, there's a lot still to come but yeah the FP1 session is going to be certainly one to keep an eye on I think um, but equally we've mentioned Abu Dhabi and it's FP1 drives Red Bull have announced their FP that when they're doing their FP1 drives and it is all in Abu Dhabi obviously by that point they've not really got anything to fight for anything for their drivers to really worry about too much so they're handing over both chassis at the same time to Jake Dennis and Isaac Hadjar um, so yeah, Isaac's getting a taster of both the big brother team and the little brother team while they're pulling in Jake, which will be quite interesting. Yeah, as Ozzy we said earlier, Liam Lawson's rookie status has been removed due to his third appearance in third F1 appearance at Singapore. Obviously, it would have been Liam Lawson. Um and as we sort of touched upon earlier as well, they've dropped Dennis Hauger, and there's also reports that Enzo Fittipaldi and Zayman Lonely will also be dropped from their junior driver programme. So it sort of has left Isaac Hajar um, and Jake Dennis to drive in the, to have a go in their cockpit. Um, yeah, Hajar currently driving in Formula 2, lying 14th in the standings. Um, and he also serves as a Red Bull and AlphaTauri reserve driver when Liam Lawson is not available when he's off in Super Formula. So it sort of, it kind of makes sense that they've gone for him. And then the other rookie, it's weird to call him a rookie because he's a Formula E, he's the current Formula E world champion, Jake Dennis. Um, he is currently Red Bull simulator driver. So it makes sense to give him a drive in the RB19 to make sure that their sim is correlating to the real thing. And with Dennis's win as well in Formula E, he also has enough super license points to become a Formula One driver. And, you know, he's got his ties as well to Andretti, currently who he drives for in Formula E. They're looking to try and enter Formula One. I think if he did ever potentially make the move over or the opportunity arose for him to maybe become a Formula One driver, then he can use this free practice session to get the experience and he'll also be able to then provide physical proof of what he can do in a car. And as well, you've got to think, you know, we always talk about how, um, you know, Perez might be dropped next year and that means that Daniel Ricciardo might go um, into Red Bull. If, say, Williams, Nab, um, Liam Lawson, away from Red Bull, away from AlphaTauri, they need they need another driver. You know, Hajar might may not be ready yet. Jake Dennis. I mean, he's on the payroll. It wouldn't be too much to simply change how much they pay him, I suppose. Um, yeah, it's it's a promising concept, especially if you're Jake Dennis, and equally, I think a lot of I want to say lesser pundits would go, oh, this will put the wind up, Sergio Perez going into the next season. And equally, at that point, Perez could still be fighting for P2 in the standings. Um, he's gotten lucky this weekend, of, or weekend just gone rather, with Hamilton being disqualified. So the points gap there hasn't closed between the two drivers. 
but it's been looking close at points that Hamilton might start to catch up to Perez. And uh, the last thing he needs is another established world champion level driver being sort of put up against him. So we'll, we'll see how that one pans out. But yeah, like you mentioned, Red Bull seems to be sort of shuffling a lot of drivers around at the moment. I say shuffling around, shuffling them off rather. Um, Dennis Halger has been dropped from their junior lineup. We mentioned Enzo Fittipaldi and Zay Maloney are looking or potentially going to be dropped from the junior program as well. But um, it's all right news uh, if you're Ayumu Iwasa, who is also in the Red Bull Junior program, um, where you're not being shuffled out of the program, but simply being shuffled off to Super Formula next season. It's not been confirmed as of yet, but um, he's had a pretty good season so far. A few more wins under his belt. He's a really feisty driver on track and has really, really good racecraft. Um, sort of very much a Yuki Tsunoda 2.0. He's got a slightly more of a cooler head but a much more demanding demeanor on track which we would like to see and makes for some great f2 races um it's i shouldn't think he'll be announced for an i thought he was going to be announced for an fp1 drive but obviously alpha tauri have now confirmed basically ticked all their boxes red bull have ticked all theirs strange he didn't get the call up for it but yeah, Timo's given us a note on his views on Iwasa's move to Super Formula next year or supposed move to Super Formula next year. And he says, it's not too surprising, but potentially a bit of a no-man's land for him in some ways when we see how much someone like Lawson can prove and still gets no seat out of it afterwards either. So uh, whether this is a help or a hindrance to Iwasa is yet to be proven. It also means the earliest he'll likely get an F1 seat is 2026. So it's, yeah, it... Potentially kicks the can down the road with Iwasa, but gives him another great chance to hone his racing skills. And equally, if Lawson's ability when he appeared in Formula One this year was ending to go by, Super Formula is underrated as a, as a sort of proving school and a finishing school for drivers. I sort of have the exact sentiments as you in that, you know, we've said previously how, you know, some Formula One drivers, Pierre Gasly, for instance, have gone off to Super Formula whilst they potentially wait for an opportunity and whether whether that be in Formula One or elsewhere I think Super Formula regardless is not a bad shout I think the car lies between a Formula Two and Formula One car so it's a nice little stepping stone and being in Japan as well it can provide quite tricky weather conditions so I think going to Super Formula is only going to help further a driver's racing craft even if they don't get into Formula One I think if I was looking for a new driver and I saw that on their CV I would look at it favorably yes yeah you're gonna especially after seeing what Lawson's able to achieve from it you now go oh okay you're going to be an interesting driver and like you mentioned with the weather the intensity level of it it's the sort of thing that an endurance team would look on quite happily because if you're able to deal with the very changeable conditions of Japan in spring summer and autumn you'll a fairly safe pair of hands for the ever-changing conditions of a 6, 8, 12, 24-hour race. So, yeah, it's uh, at the end of the day, this could prove to be a very valuable move for Iwasa and certainly one that, well, if he never gets the F1 drive, he might be perturbed about. Ultimately, like Giovinazzi, if he comes away with this and is a 24-hour Le Mans winner with Toyota or, so, or Honda, should they reappear in it, he's going to be quite happy with it at the end of the day. Um, 
we sort of jumped over two points to sort of link to Ayumu Iwasa. And uh, there's some news from IndyCar. With, uh, we've already mentioned Enzo Fittipaldi on this podcast. It's time to mention his big brother, Pietro Fittipaldi, who is uh, announced as the number 30 car for Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing in the 2024 IndyCar season, which is interesting because they had also signed Yuri Vips at one point. And he is still, by all accounts, on their roster he hasn't been assigned a car. So uh, potentially they're shying away from that given the somewhat social media backlash that he suffered after uh, loudly proclaiming a racial slur on a live stream while gaming last year, I think that was, or was that this year and we've simply forgotten it? Last year. It was last year, yeah. So he's uh, sort of found a home of sorts, but uh, Pietro Fittipaldi is a good racing driver. He did all right when he sat in for Roman Grosjean at the tail end of 2020 and um, yeah it should be a fairly safe pair of hands for the Ray Holt Lesman Lanigan racing team in 2024 uh, whether he's going to do the full calendar or not has yet to be decided I think because often when you first join IndyCar you sometimes skip the Super Bowls you just do the road courses and wait to sort of get your feet under the table before you do the big speedways but uh, yeah he's a decent driver and uh, could find some fortune in America surprises me that or not surprises me as such but do you think Haas will put him in a free practice session or not because he's only done the two races when he filled in for Roman Grosjean so he still counts as a rookie or do you think they'll just give both of the seats to Ollie Behrman I don't know I think Haas have announced those are they not uh, so they've got Ollie Behrman I think I think he might. He's obviously doing one for them done, this week. I think they. I feel like they must have said that he's doing Abu Dhabi. That, or I'm just imagining it. They could still have Abu Dhabi to decide. So we'll wait and see what happens there. Yes. But it'd be interesting to see if they do bring back Pietro. I think he's definitely done it for them before, as sort of equally because he does a bit of test work for them. It just gives him sort of a a better understanding of the car. We'll have to wait and see, I suppose, on that one. Um, but equally, we'll loop back to junior teams or junior departments of teams and uh, Alpine's academy programme with a new driver. Uh, alongside Jack Dillon and Victor Martins, there is now Kush Miney who has joined their roster, which is an interesting move. He sort of came out of nowhere at the start of this year's season as a rookie in Formula 2 and has been pretty damn competent sits in p11 at the moment where he races for campos and with the right bit of training could be a very worthwhile driver especially as alpine shuffles towards getting their WEC program up and running where they're gonna need names to drive in it and obviously i think we must have mentioned it previously that uh michael Sch- uh, mick schumacher has been seen testing with them so uh whether or not they need another driver alongside him has yet to be known but uh not a bad time to be Kush Miney, I suppose. Now you've got that extra support. Yeah, Alpine are really sort of furthering where they, you know, they're not just sticking to sort of the usual Formula One. They are they are expanding. So I think it is even if you know you don't get that Formula One seat, you've still got, like we said, WEC. And I think. It's a bit like Super Formula. I think WEC should be given a lot more credit than it gets sort of given. Certainly, 
outside of the UK, I think it has a bigger following than we really anticipated doing. So it's it definitely has that understanding and enjoyment. I just think from potentially from a UK centric position, it's not the biggest sport that we follow, but it's by no means a sort of a, a, a flub sport to or flub series to be dumped into. No, I think we don't view it as such because we don't have a obviously we don't have a wet race in the UK, and it was something I was talking to. Um, Kai historian about actually and he was sort of saying how he doesn't think WEC will come into the UK anytime soon because if you go around sort of you know the most likely place that it will be is Silverstone mm. and if you go around sort of the Silverstone Museum or just Silverstone in general they don't promote a lot of sort of endurance racing especially sort of in their sort of museum and things like that I'm not too sure about how much history endurance, that kind of endurance racing has in Silverstone. My my knowledge there is a bit limited, but it's not something that they willingly promote. So it doesn't really seem like it's going to, they kind of want it either, if that makes sense. Mm. I mean, it's previously hosted um, a variety of different sort of endurance series there. Um, I'm trying to think obviously World Endurance Championship there was the six hours of Silverstone which was 2012 through 2019 Uh, the Endurance World Championship uh, which was I think that was Motorcycle Endurance World Championship um, was there in 83 and 2003 there's been Endurance Series there before the Silverstone 24 hour was like its own 24 hour race it has held them previously and it would be nice to have that back i think um like yeah i think the gt what would have been it would have been the no group c um endurance class was launched in 1982 at silverstone like they've hosted big endurance races before and it would be nice to have that back i'd go along to it certainly i'd go along to it as well but it's like as you if you go into their museum or anything like that, they d- they don't really have that kind of history in the museum. You wouldn't. It's not at their forefront, no. They just sort of it's oh, we've got MotoGP and we've got F1 and we've got really interesting history in single seater racing. The, yeah. yeah, which is a shame, really. But we'll wait and see if it ever makes a return. Um, working our way further down the list and hopping down to the low rung of Formula 3 where Gabrielli Mini has signed up for another season in the league. He makes the switch from Prima for his second uh, makes switch to Prima rather for his second full season in Formula 3. He finished P7 this year with two wins to his name. Had a good little campaign actually and I think with the very competitive outfit that is Prema uh, he could be in for a shout of performing at the top end of the field. However, when it comes to other junior series, um, Franco Colapinto now joins Formula 2 for the 2024 season. He will take over an MP motorsport seat in Abu Dhabi ahead of a full season next year. Not entirely sure which seat he's taking just yet, but it's promising news for the Williams Jr., though he is up against a Mercedes Jr. in the form of Andrea Kimi Antonelli, who is making the leap straight from Freca to F2, which is quite a big jump. He's essentially gone F4, skipped F3, F2, and um, no word on who he'll be replacing at Prema, whether it will be Behrman or Vesti, but... Uh, 
uh, some interesting goings on there. I've seen a lot of hype from people about Kimi Antonelli in saying that he's a pretty superb driver. Yes, there there is big hype behind this kid, and for good reason. Like he has proven to be phenomenally quick and reliable as well. There's a there's a you can trust him to get the job done without sort of spannering it into a wall on regular occasion. He is a very good driver, and I think if he gets the right driver development in F2, especially at Prema, he is going to be something to behold uh so f2 if you're looking for another series to watch next year alongside f1 just stick on sky sports coverage early and watch the f2 because it's a firecracker this year has been pretty good it's coming down to the wire in abu dhabi and uh given the announcement of uh colapinto and antonelli it's gonna be big Equally, some more feeder series news. This one came out after Timo and I recorded the feeder series review from Austin. Uh, the Formula 3 World Cup returns to Macau. So uh, this is a sort of a, a weird heritage race, actually. This they used to go on way back in the 60s, 70s, all the way through 80s, 90s. It happens in Macau because it's sort of like the weird enclave of China where you can legally gamble. Um, so they provided the essentially the Macau Grand Prix as this opportunity to gamble on motorsports. I think that's how it started. Don't entirely quote me on that one uh, but it's a pucker racing sort of race it sort of stands on its own outside of formula three um but a lot of drivers going to do it as like an additional way to sort of earn a few bucks going into the winter and equally as like a final chance to prove it equally you've usually sort of been given your chassis at that point certainly in the older days you just sort of ended up with this f3 chassis kicking around you might as well use it um, the lineup currently misses a few people, but notable names so far on the list include Sofia Flush, Ugo Ugo Chukwu, um, Dino Biganovic, Zay Maloney, and Richard Vashaw. So a couple of F2 drivers making an appearance in the class, which could be very interesting to see. And Timo has left us the footnote of, it'll be very fun to watch this event and how that impacts the driver markets for various categories of 2024 with seats available. And he's not wrong. It is viewed as a really good sort of testing bed for drivers and it's a tight and demanding street circuit. I believe the Macau Grand Prix is where Sophia Flush had that phenomenal accident uh, back in 2019 and um, eventually made a recovery from it to rejoin Formula 3. Scrolls back through details. 2018 uh, Macau Grand Prix. Um, during the main race on lap four, she made fe- contact with fellow driver Johan de Ruvler, who was reportedly slowing for an erroneously displayed yellow flag on the straight between Mandarin Corner and Lisboa Bend. This caused a front left suspension failure, catapulting her car into the bend sideways at high speed, launching off Sho Tsuboi's car uh, through the catch fencing and smashing into a photographer's bunker before landing back on its wheels. She was reported as conscious post crash and was hospitalized along with um, Tsuboi and two photographers and a marshal. It was an enormous accident and she was diagnosed with a spinal fracture afterwards and went through 10 hours of surgery it was frankly enormous um and yeah the fact that she returned to racing afterwards was really quite impressive the fact that she then went in 2019 to the macau grand prix and raced again so um yeah it's a it's a absolutely bonkers little race and um yeah it, it's sort of a non-championship race we don't get those anymore in the world of formula one two and three but it's had some big names win it previously the last iteration of it was 2019 and uh yuri vips won 
And it was on pole. The fastest lap was taken by Jake Hughes and Richard Vershaw won it with Vip second, Sergeant third. Um, so you get all these interesting names coming through it. And historically, it's just such a fun little thing to enjoy. I think it's the 70th anniversary of when it um, first started. But yeah, you've got, you've had huge names previously. You've got Schumacher, Senna. They've all done it. Yes, you are correct. And it being the 70th anniversary, it was uh, first held 1954. How long is, how long is Spa in kilometres? Spa is 7.03, I think. And yeah, this is about 6.1. So it's a long, it's a big old circuit as well. And it's got that really long front sort of section. It's going to be sort of one of the longest sort of like Formula 3 drivers have have completed but at the same time it is it's a short it, well actually I suppose it's not is it no it's you sort of do a race but it's not because it's you do 12 laps I think you cover um uh, what would be about sort of just shy of 100 kilometers at that point I think and about 90 91 kilometers I think in the whole distance of it but yeah it's, it's usually a, a good little good little bit of fun and yeah, like you've already mentioned some of the fantastic names that we've seen in it. Um, let's see, that's all motorcycles, GT Cup. Um, but yeah, it's been won by Patrese Senna, Schumacher, Coulthard, uh, Ralph Schumacher, Takuma Sato, Lucas Degrassi, Eduardo, Eduardo Watara, Antonio Felix da Costa, Felix Rosenquist, and everyone's favourite sweary boy, Dan Tictum. So um, yeah, it's, it, it's just a good bit of fun. And uh, it's back next year and uh well whether or not there's a massive accident has yet to be seen but uh oh yeah something a little bit more light-hearted uh, lando norris fiat jolly is for sale um you might have seen videos and pictures of him pottering around monaco and it. it is the small open-topped fiat 500 derivative with wicker seats and like a little sort of chrome frame over the top that you can drape a canvas on it's a 1972 fiat jolly evocation it's not one of the original ones there hen's teeth these days but this is a, a faithful recreation built off a of fiat 500 and uh, it's reportedly in superb condition and is expected to fetch 28 to 33 thousand pounds when it goes under the hammer on car and classic the auction site with bidding starting on the 26th that so starts tomorrow which might be yesterday when you listen to this it really depends on when this goes out um in other classic motorsports oh, based oh hang on i i thought it had already been sold it had but he hadn't been seen in it. Someone else had been seen in it. Oscar Piastri has been seen driving it as well. Like I, I don't know who else has had it, or but it's re- I, reportedly come straight from Lando. I thought. Oh, but he has now. So he got his. He's upgraded quite a bit, really, hasn't he? He's gone from a Fiat Dolly to a Lamborghini Miura. So has he got a Miura now? Yeah. Have you not Ooh, seen it? No. <gasps> Stunning. It's got no um side mirrors. It makes it look sleeker. Yeah, I can see that in the lines. I can see why he's gone for that. Yeah. Bit of a nightmare to park with the high curb stones in Monaco, though. But they've got quite big yeah. sidewalls on the tyres, so I suppose it's all right there. What colour is it? Is it yellow? No, it's... it's. I'm not, I can't remember if it's a really, really dark purple or navy. It's, it's very dark. It's, it's a beautiful car. Ooh, that looks good. It is in sort of like a, again, I'm colorblind, but it's certainly that sort of dark blue purple hue. Yeah. 
That's quite cool. Reportedly, there's this one here. Uh, Lando Norris ripped in world's, f- uh, world's first ever supercar. Yeah, the Lamborghini Mira. That is royal. It's just, uh, here we go. It's described as being in royal blue, which mm, I quite like that. Mm. It's very him. It's got a sort of orange interior as well, which is looks McLaren orange. So, hmm. Good for him. Good good choice in cars, Lando Norris. Uh, but if you want his Fiat, it's up for auction on Car and Classic. Um, ooh, Car and Classic. And um, for 28 to 33 grand. So that's what they reckon will fetch at auction. But equally, if you are looking at buying something else at auction and fancy something of more the Japanese um, origin, Johnny Herbert's Nissan R33 GTR is also coming up for auction. This will be next month at the Classic Motor Show at the NEC. And it is a 1998 uh, GTR V-Spec, um, which was uh, essentially built and registered in Japan and was exported from Japan to the UK on the 14th of April 1998 and was registered to the Formula One driver Johnny Herbert, who at the time was driving for Sauber. So clearly had a decent enough paycheck to grey import himself an R33 brand new, which I like. And it's a good choice in car as well. Um, the car was assigned the distinctive registration R30 GTR, which it has always worn and still does. So uh, you can very much buy johnny herbert's gt uh, gtr which is quite cool it's well documented his names throughout the paperwork and all the service history and um i think he also had it tweaked and tuned so it's got a bit more punch than uh, the standard v-spec does but it's not uncommon for a gtr to be fettled with um johnny sold the car off in 2000 uh but uh, it's well known as being his car so be uh, yeah, if you want a unique and enjoyable piece of motorsport memorabilia um going by johnny herbert's old car yeah he um it was sold to the current owner actually in 2020 for thirty-two thousand pounds and now i know that they've put ten thousand pounds into the car but it's sort of estimated to go 58 to sixty-eight thousand pounds do you think it'll go for that or i can see it reaching 50 Certainly. Uh, the R33 GTR has always been a bit of sort of, the R, if it's not an R34, they've always been a bit underappreciated. The R31 is very underappreciated. The 32s, 33s are starting to build up a following because the 30, I think it was a 33, was like the one that absolutely beasted the Australian touring car series when it was sort of arrived. It sort of waded into the Holden Ford fight and went, shut up. And <laughs> basically destroyed the competition it was fantastic and a bit of a weapon did world touring car series as well um so yeah the r33s 32s are picking up in value and this one with that johnny herbert sort of history attached might do very nicely indeed um but anyway yeah johnny herbert's r34 buy it if you really want it lemon norris's fiat jolly buy it before i do uh the one thing i've got written next is check for ferrari engine penalties they were apparently on the limit coming into cota uh so there is uh reports that there could be a change coming and possibly uh grid drops should ferrari opt to run some new power units which might be outside of their pool at this point as well uh, but there's been no certified news as far as i'm aware with the higher altitude and the thinner atmosphere would it say you i don't know too much about f1 engines but would it hurt the engine more to start it off in mexico than like in another you adjust your fueling so you don't end up sort of running it lean or running it rich 
I think equally because it's a low resistance circuit in reality because of that reduced aero um, or reduced the thinner atmosphere, meaning you can essentially run a more aggressive aero. It's not quite as draggy. I think it's possibly even a better place to try and bed in an engine because obviously you can dial in your fuel. You can make sure you run the right cooling on it. That is one thing we will see is different cooling packages on the cars, bigger brake ducts, bigger side pods uh, to cope with the thinner atmosphere, not being quite so good at cooling engines. Um, but equally, if the time necessitate, necessitates having a new engine now, now is the time to have a new engine, I suppose. And Ferrari are, within 22 points i think of mercedes in the constructor standings they're not gonna sort of throw it away by sort of having a weekend where both cars suffer an engine failure i suppose no that's true and i have always wondered what is the best or what's the best weather conditions for an f1 engine it's turbocharged so it wants cold and uh, sort of sea level basically because it means the air is more dense, so you've got more oxygen yeah. per volume passed through the engine, and that way you can essentially run more fuel, generate more power, and equally more dense air is better for cooling. So that would be better for the engine, certainly, but you've then got to obviously counter that with a slightly slippier aero package. Huh, there's, your, there's your science mechanics bit for the week. Um, on a more fashionable note, uh, Bottas has some Mexico GP merch out. It looks pretty funky. It's got tacos on it. I quite like it, to be fair. Um, if I wasn't stony broke, I'd probably buy a t-shirt. He looks like cool t-shirts. Um, but anyway, we'll look ahead to the more important parts of the Mexican Grand Prix because we've been talking for the best part of 45 minutes and haven't even mentioned it yet. So this will be the 15th Mexican Grand Prix we're seeing, certainly on the more modern, uh, recognised layout of the circuit known as Hermanos Rodriguez. And of course, it is a tricky circuit because it is held at altitude. Um, the circuit is, he says, checking, going back and checking his notes once more. Um, it's held at an altitude of 2,238 metres or 7,342 feet in the air. This thinner altitude, while of course it means less drag on the cars, does make it harder for the drivers who will be facing lower oxygen levels across the weekend. However, oxygen is going to be pretty constant up there what about the weather well thursday will be a valuable day for teams looking to optimize the run times for their fp1 juniors the following day however rain passing through the area in the week isn't set to pass until late on the thursday afternoon so come friday morning it'll be a very green circuit for the young guns to enjoy Friday will be about 24 degrees Celsius with a few final spots of rain passing through the area. But F1 always has its own strange microclimate, so the altitude uh, might also play a favour here and being that we have a dry Friday. Saturday is for once a normal Saturday, no sprints or shootouts here. So FB3 and Quali will be in the warm 25 degrees Celsius air with no or very few cloudy spells. Sunday is warmer still, 26 degrees Celsius. And the real question here is how will this heat at the track surface and that's very much open to guesswork at this point in time it depends on overnight cloud cover trapping in the warmth otherwise it'll be a dry weekend from friday onwards when it comes to the battle forecast on track well, post-coated, this is quite tricky to say, especially with the unique aero conditions that Mexico demands. The high altitude, as we've already mentioned, results in the thinner atmosphere, so teams can run a higher downforce setup without suffering the associated drag issues. At the back of the field, it could be a jumbled pack, with Haas still looking to sort out their new upgrades. AlphaTauri seemingly finding pace last weekend might be able to build on that, and Alfa Romeo 
somewhere in between, I'm going to assume. Alpine and Aston Martin are both in with a good chance of points here if they can nail a setup. Both are now chasing McLaren in the standings, and a strong final few races could open them up to some much-needed prize money. McLaren are on a good roll of form at the moment. Oscar will be looking to move uh, to sort of move on from a less than successful weekend at Cota and return to his strong pace, race pace that he had prior. Lando is still hunting that elusive maiden win and the one-off scenario of Mexico could play in the Woking outfit's favour. Ferrari are, as ever, a tricky one to call. Science's uh, consistency is keeping him in the sharp end of the standings, whilst Charles' bad luck has seen him slip to seventh behind Lando Norris post-Austin. If Russell has a strong weekend in Mexico City, he could push Leclerc further down. Mercedes are just 22 points ahead of Ferrari and can't afford any slip-ups at this late stage, or they could risk losing second place in the standings. Word from Brackley is that they have basically abandoned this year's car now and are well at work on the W15. Their form and pace could well be locked in for the rest of the season now so this could be a close run thing and then there's red bull it's really a case of how well checo can perform in front of a home crowd he hasn't won anything since baku and was last on the podium in italy a win at home could be the tonic he needs with that in mind it's time for some predictions and we'll start with timo's prediction poll which is max verstappen ellie may you followed him with that haven't you yep and I'm going to be different and say Lando Norris. When it comes to the podium, both you and Timo again have picked Verstappen for the win. I'm going to go for Lando Norris because it's going to be difficult and make life hard for myself. Um, Timo thinks Norris is going to have a good while. Actually, no, of course, Timo is doing his basically the last race's podium repeated. So he's got Norris in second, Sainz in third. Um, you've gone for Perez Russell as your second, third. Yeah. Um, I feel like Perez should at least kind of do well at his own home race. Um, We've said that before, but even with the in a Red Bull, he's not been able to really sort of get to that top step. And unless Max is feeling particularly benevolent this weekend, it's that's why I haven't put him first. You don't think Max is going to be feeling benevolent? Second is everyone else's first when Max is on the... On the track? Yeah. Okay. And then Russell in third. Reckon Mercedes are going to have a bit of a turn of form or are they likely to cheat again? Uh, Just a turn of form, I guess. The low sort of... low atmospheric resistance high downforce setup might work in their favor although we have seen them enjoy high downforce setups previously through the calendar they didn't look too out of shape in the likes of hungary so we could see something interesting here um meanwhile i'm gonna go for the norris win second place verstappen third place piastri fastest lap Timo's sticking with Carlos Sainz until it happens you've gone for Piastri yeah just because I haven't added McLaren into any of my predictions sort of spread betting at this point thinking oh it'll be, it'll be somewhere in there that's, yeah that's the logic but I don't think McLaren have ever got fastest lap, so um, I, don't, I don't recall them having it this season 
No. So we'll, we'll wait and see what happens. I'm gonna go for I'm gonna go bold Logan Sargent to get fastest lap. <laughs> I can see the Williams so doing all right have, here. He could do a um a Sonoda and basically have a gap to behind him and pit for softs and do it at the last part. Or just a Danny Rick. Yeah. Just just go hell for leather. Why not? Just oh sorry, we kind of forgot about you. Come and pit and we'll put some sauce on. Yeah, yeah. Compensatory fastest lap point. Wild prediction. Timo's obviously locked in with his podium because of his weird pattern, but he's gone for Perez finally wins his home race. You, meanwhile, have gone for both Aston Martins in the top 10, which is ever increasingly a wild prediction these days. It certainly wasn't at the start of the year. Yeah, I think perhaps with more testing, they will um, basically their upgrades might work. And it's also interesting, it makes sense as well. I mean, I know they have to put Felipe Dragovic in in Alonso's car now, but I wonder whether they'll keep the upgrades on or whether they'll keep or put the upgrades back on or they'll keep to the old spec car that they kept they put back on with Alan, um Fernando halfway through last weekend. They'll find the balance point between of the ones that do work and the ones that don't, as it were, through that that early part. Yeah. It's- yeah. Good logic. What am I, what am I going to go for for my wild prediction? Alex Albon, top six, finish. How about that? Nice. I like the sound of that one. So, with our predictions nailed down, that is all we have time for on this week's episode. Um, I'm assuming that when I'm editing this, I'm going to cut out large parts of the bits where we're talking nonsense about Johnny Herbert's R33 GTR. Um, But anyway, you can join us after the Mexico Grand Prix, where we'll be reviewing all of the action from Circuit Hermanos Rodriguez. And um, yeah, that should be a good bit of fun. In the meantime, Ellie Mae, where can the people find you? You can find me doing the graphics for the podcast or over on our TikTok. Um, Timo can be found on Is It Fast on the Curbs, the Nitro RX podcast, Paddock Sorority and Instagram. And if you want more of me, I can be found on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok as at Jesse on Cars. And at literally the time of recording, I've just posted a TikTok. Please go and watch it. Um, And equally, you can find me writing for Classic Car Weekly. Our latest issue is out at the moment and has my beautiful words about the Rover SD1 in it. So go and buy a copy of that. It would make me very happy indeed. If not, we'll see you or you'll hear us in our review of the Mexican Grand Prix.